0: and welcome to right wing dharma squads episode 42 completing at long last our journey into nagarjuna's root verses of the middle way i am your host dharma king joined as always by the squad if you all want to say hi what's up kang <laughs> hey everyone what is up my jagas so um <laughs> yeah um and as i as i mentioned today is our um is part 10 and the uh we 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 have decided to be the final part of our um discussion of the this really remarkable work of buddhist philosophy um and um this is really the the, this you know it kind of all comes home here i think you'll see this is uh this is um really kind of what it all means. And and that, you know, for reasons that we'll, we'll you know, get into, I guess it, it can be hard. It, it's, it's deliberately not something that you can really express in language. He's sort of, you know, cagey about, it. he understands, you know, you have to talk, you have to use conventions, you have to use language, but what we're talking about, ultimately, it's not something that you can really, you know, capture in words, um, or even in thought. And, you so, yeah, um, with that, I, I before maybe jumping into the text, um, did, did you all have anything you wanted to say or, or um, thoughts you wanted to share?
1: Well, I felt it was a really um, it was actually quite gratifying for me these last few chapters, because I've had a little nagging frustration all along the way, which is like me going, yeah, but this is it's kind of the same as dependent co-arising, even though in earlier chapters, of course, we went into why um, he would call that also empty, but there was, I I felt like there was a a thread hanging a little bit. And as we'll get into, when we get into these last few chapters here, um, I can see then how Nagarjuna sort of ties that together. And um, essentially, well, I don't want to jump the gun too much, but essentially he is, he does sort of come around to, that type of an explanation that even though dependent co-arising is also empty, that the Buddha was indeed teaching dependent co-arising. And that that is very much tied to the teaching on emptiness. It's sort of the, they're almost like parallel teachings, if that makes sense. So I, I just, as an overall uh, comment, I'd say that uh, I, for that reason and others, I found it to be actually quite a satisfying uh, uh, not overture. What do you call it at the end of it? You know, a quite a, quite a quite a satisfying coda. climax. Yeah. yeah, quite a satisfying coda.
0: Well, the the key point I mean we can maybe, you know, jump the gun but just to like, you know, the TLDR on all this really is um the whole point is emptiness and dependent origination are literally synonymous. They, so whenever you're talking about emptiness, you're talking about dependent origination. And whenever you're talking about dependent origination, you're talking about emptiness. And, you know, causality could not work in the absence of emptiness. And emptiness doesn't mean anything in the absence of causality. I think that's a pretty, you know, that, that's, if you, if you wanna sort of take away one thing, and of course there's more to say, and we'll, we're gonna spend however long saying more, but that, you know, if you wanna take one thing away, that wouldn't be a bad, Thing to have that one thing be yeah yeah um okay so to to maybe jump right into it and um discuss start with the chapter 24 which is really like um i think it's really the key chapter i mean this is sort of the tradition understands this as well i mean there's there's also great stuff in chapter 25 and 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 a little bit beyond but but this is kind of really where it all comes home. So the objector says, you know, so the person that's arguing with Nagarjuna says, if everything is empty, there is neither origination nor cessation. It follows for you that there is the non-existence of the four noble truths. So this, this objector is like, is a Buddhist who's concerned with saying, well, if you say everything is empty, then, and, and sort of Nagarjuna, and not only, you know, does it follow that there is no such thing as arising or cessation, but, um, you know, Nagarjuna has, has argued, as we've covered, you know, many times in the past, he said explicitly, yeah, there is no arising in cessation. What are you even talking about? He says, okay, well, if you say there's no arising in cessation, then what happens to the Four Noble Truths, which, you know, famously concern the, the, um, the origin of suffering and, and the, uh, the, the, you know, the, the fact that there is suffering, the fact that suffering has an origin, the fact that suffering ceases and the way to make, you know, the path, the Eightfold Path to make suffering Cease. So if there is no origination, no arising, and no cessation, um, what happens to the Four Noble Truths? What happens to the whole structure of a path where we have this problem that is suffering, but the suffering comes from somewhere and therefore the suffering can go away? Nagarjuna responds, well, uh, and then the objector goes on, he says, there's all this kind of, you know, all these other things go away and you're basically getting rid of Buddhism. So what the hell are you even talking about? And Nagarjuna responds, he says, Here we say that you do not understand the point of emptiness, emptiness itself and the meaning of emptiness. In this way you are thus frustrated. The Dharma teaching of the Buddha rests on two truths, conventional truth and ultimate truth. Those who do not understand the distinction between the two truths do not understand reality in accordance with the profound teachings of the Buddha. So. What does this mean? What is he saying here? You know people have been arguing about this for 2,000 years or so. Um, and and there's a lot, as you can imagine that rides on the distinction between ultimate truth and relative truth that he introduces here. This is really maybe as a side note, um, absolutely foundational to the Mahayana you know intellectual tradition and, and contemplative tradition. You know the the um the question of like what is the ultimate truth and what is its relationship to what does it mean for there to be an ultimate truth how are we to understand its you know relationship and and difference or sameness to the conventional truth and and these kinds of questions this is like in in many ways the meat of what Buddhists have been arguing about among you know with, with each other for the better part of two thousand years now. Um, and you know, there are different interpretations and I, I have my ideas about, you know, which are better than than others. Um, I don't necessarily want to get into that here um, I, for a lot of reasons, but the, 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 I think the key, the, the, the most important single thing to take away is that there is a distinction. That And, and Nagarjan is really s- is saying, you know, when I say that things are empty, when I say that, you know, you, you, know, you can't claim in an in an ultimate sense that there is such a thing like as an inherently existing entity which is the arising of something or the cessation of something or the existence of something or the non-existence of something right you you know he's talking in a way that is is not meant to be like he's not saying there is no buddha right he's not saying like oh there's just none of this stuff like that would be nihilism or annihilationism um so it, it, it's really important to keep track is what he's saying here. You you have to understand the context in which things are said and the meaning that things are, um, you know, uh, the, the, the meaning of the words. There's a kind of famous uh, distinction that gets drawn also in Buddhist literature. You know, don't pay attention, pay attention to the words, but don't just pay attention to the words. L- rely on the meaning of the words more than the meaning. And in fact, rely on like... You know that the ultimate meaning, the the meaning of the meaning, rather than just kind of the surface level meaning, as a kind of heuristic for how are we supposed to interpret teachings, how are we supposed to read these texts, how are we supposed to listen when when a teacher gives us a a dharma teaching, you know, how are we supposed to to approach that? And and the point is to like, yes, we have to pay attention to the words, but we you know even more important than just the words is what the words mean, and even more important than just what they mean at a surface level is let's say what they mean at a in a in a deep way and that's what really Nagarjan is getting at here and and so when when you know when he says all phenomena are empty and the path is empty and the ground is empty and the and the result is empty and buddhahood is empty and nirvana is empty and sentient beings are empty you know he's not saying that you don't have to like that that you know that it's okay to go out and kill and rape and steal right this <laughs> like this is this, that would be a misunderstanding um, because it'll, you know, quote unquote, because not, nothing is real and everything is empty and nothing really exists, right? And and there is this kind of a temptation, you know, we've mentioned it before, but I think it's important to recognize that this is a one way in which this kind of teaching, which is very profound, can be misunderstood. And so we have to be on guard against this mis- misunderstanding and we have to correct others if they, you know, were to to take this kind of a misunderstanding and, and treat it as though it were the correct way to understand these things. Um, but 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 yeah. So that's and 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 so uh, maybe before moving on, did you all have anything you you wanted to add?
1: Well, on this particular chapter, um, one one of the things we've done in reviewing this text um, is sort of using Nagarjuna's uh, various arguments on various different Buddhist doctrines as a as an opportunity to give people the TLDR on those doctrines. And I, I thought since he, this chapter is about the four noble truths. Um, I, I I thought it's good to just a review them real quick. I am sure most people know them, but also uh, a sort of side point that I think maybe non Buddhists may not be familiar with, but, um, which, which is the four activities that are supposed to go with, uh, the teaching on the four, four noble truths. So again, um, the the beginner level the the understanding is is um, the beginner and enter level <laughs> of the four noble truths is uh, they can be summarized as suffering um, the cause of suffering um, the cessation of suffering and the cause of the cessation of suffering or you also just be called the path to the to the cessation of suffering so uh, again suffering its cause um, End of suffering and the cause of the end of suffering, and for those four truths, you're, there are four activities that the that the a good little Buddhist ought to be doing, which is um, to comprehend suffering, to uh, abandon the causes of suffering, um, to I, now I I'm interested here because I, I'm curious about the translation here because I've always thought about thought about it in the reverse. Maybe I've been doing it wrong this whole time, but in the text they're saying to practice the cessation of suffering and to realize the path. But I guess I've always thought of it as to realize the end of suffering and to practice the path. Um, Have I just been getting that backwards or is that a translation issue? Sorry, say that again. Well, to comprehend uh, suffering and to abandon the causes of suffering is very clear to me and i 've always thought of it as to realize the end of suffering and to practice the path, but here it 's saying that it 's the other way around that it 's to practice the end of suffering and to realize the path
0: yeah, I mean these things are just kind of terminological I mean you yeah know, it doesn't really yeah, yeah i mean you i mean typically you would talk about practicing the path, but you can also talk about the path as something to be realized, sure
1: right right, so anyways the the reason I highlight that is because you know. Uh, again, when we we talk so much about these somewhat dry, abstract stuff, you know, you guys know me, my big hobby horse is to talk about like, what is, you know, what does that mean for for the people listening and for ourselves in our daily lives? And I, I just, I've been reading about Buddhism and practicing sort of in a desultory manner for quite a few years before I even came across this idea that there are four activities that go with the four noble truths. And um, to me, I find it quite helpful to remember that that when you're learning this doctrine and stuff, that it's not just doctrine to be learned, but it's there's like stuff you're supposed to do <laughs> regarding the doctrine. You know, you're you're not just supposed to sit there and be like, mm, yes, how very wise, how very interesting. It's like, no, it's not just that suffering is the nature of existence. You are exhorted to comprehend that. And then there are causes of suffering. You're 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 exhorted to abandon them and so forth. So that's one thing i wanted to say um on it and the other just very quickly as a kind of humorous note i made a note after verses five and six here and uh dk you already summarized that the the interlocutor the replier um is objecting in this one you know well if you say all these other things are empty then are you really saying that the dharma the sangha and the buddha are empty and it's you know, it's a bit of a straw man, obviously, but it's like his interlocutor is like being like, How dare you? Ooh, no, he's you like know? saying,
0: you know, the are you really saying that the, all the Buddha the Dharma and the Sangha, are empty and the garden is like head turned to the sign? Yes. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um so this gets us, you know, maybe to the um uh, to the next verse where, you know, which is another kind of critical This whole chapter twenty four, like if you really you know want if you want to study this material and you don't have a whole lot of time i would say like chapters one and two and twenty four if you like you know ideally you would read the whole thing and and i think our series here is really good and and pretty comprehensive Um, but if you if you are really pressed for time and or you wanna you know maybe go a little bit deeper but you again are pressed for somewhat for time those are really good chapters to to focus on because that's really kind of like the key point is he's saying you know What does it mean to say that one thing causes another thing? What does it mean to say that there's, you know, sameness or difference? What does it mean to say? And, 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 you know, go through these kinds of um, intellectual exercises. And then he's like, okay, well now having gone through those kinds of intellectual exercises, what are we supposed to take away from it? How are we supposed to understand these things? And he says in, in verse 10 of chapter 24, he says, the ultimate truth is not taught independently of um, the translators render this word "customary ways of talking and thinking." Uh, I'll say a bit more in a second. Not having acquired the ultimate truth, nirvana is not attained. Um, I, I, I don't mind those translations; these are great, actually. You know, they're very helpful. Um, but it's important to understand, like when "vivahara," the word, the Sanskrit word, it doesn't just mean customary. It, like another way this is often translated is "transactional." Um And the idea is basically, it's like, you know, when you're going about doing your business, in other words, it isn't just customary ways of talking and thinking, it's customary ways of acting. It's kind of just going out and doing your business, even like there's a kind of mercantile sense of the term of like, um, you know, like this kind of activity is what, um, you know, people who are like, you're out in the market and, you know, you wanna buy vegetables because you need to eat, right? So like, you know we can say okay money is fake and gay and that's true and you know money is a social construct and that's that's true and like we, we you know we can maybe understand emptiness in a certain way very um, viscerally when we think about like we all kinda get how money is fake and gay and um, you know it, it don't you know this pe- these bits of paper they really only have the meaning that we assign to them you know kind of as a as a kind of like uh, there's a there's an agreement that we all have There's a kind of transactional social agreement that is in place that we all agree that like this you know bit of paper you know I can I can give you this bit of paper that I can't eat and in exchange you will give me you know vegetables or whatever that like I can eat and in a certain sense is you know objectively more valuable than that bit of paper right That that we can we can engage in this kind of a transaction um, because there's this social agreement that's in place. That's really the sense of Via and And that's really what he's getting at is, um, you know, in much in, in, in an analogous, I don't want to make it like too, um, it's not too direct of a comparison to be made because like, you know, it's not just that money is fake and gay. It's like, you know, everything is fake and gay. <laughs> like that's kind of like what emptiness means at a certain level. But the point is like, you know, if you were to show up, at like the, the 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 vegetable market or the grocery store, right? And you'd be like, "Well, money is, um, you know, a social construct, and none of this is real. And the vegetable isn't real, and I'm not real, and you're not real, and blah blah blah." Like, you know, the guy might be like, you know, let's say the guy is a, is a is a very you know kind of uh, the person the, the 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 cashier is actually like an Arya Bodhisattva, right? And they're they're a very advanced Buddhist practitioner, and they know they've read their Nagarjuna, and they know exactly what you're talking about. And then they they say, yes, I agree with you. All of this is empty, you're empty, I'm empty, the Buddha's empty, that'll be 2450, right? So (laughs) like, (laughs) um, it's important not to lose sight of this is all I'm saying. Definitely, and uh, I would also
2: like to say um, the next verse, um, Verse 11, emptiness misunderstood destroys the slow-witted like a a serpent wrongly held or a spell wrongly executed. Um, One of the criticisms that I've heard before from someone over on the Theravada side is that Mahayana spends too much time trying to think up some kind of theory of everything or theory of understanding of ultimate reality. And if you actually look at the way these arguments are being executed, uh, Nagarjuna is basically sitting down and knocking apart... Four potential possibilities that can be advanced. But if you'll notice a little bit more carefully, he doesn't advance forward any kind of positive thesis of his own. Emptiness is not some kind of metaphysical principle um, or some kind of metaphysical first cause or anything like that. It's simply a kind of statement where we say, there really is no conceptual metaphysical view that you can put forward that allows you to understand reality purely conceptually. It simply doesn't exist and to try and do so is not conducive to proper practice.
0: Yeah, the stuff about like, so (laughs) it's funny because you can sort of like tip your hand in certain ways if you know what you're listening to. Like what you're talking about, he's not advancing a thesis of his own. That's connected to like a, just a very long standing dispute just extremely autistic dispute in <laughs> I guess Tibetan. that's Rangtong versus versus yeah Shen not tong a, not with... e, no. it's, oh my god it's like it's about Svatantrika versus prasangika and I can uh, my eyes are glazing over and I'm like please fucking shoot me <laughs> uh yeah I mean I, I don't disagree I think I think the um I think I don't know how to say it's not that uh, you're you're right like I I, I It's not that he's advancing he's certainly not advancing a metaphysical thesis right it's certainly the case that that like emptiness
2: is not the same thing as the atman or something like that
0: no far from it right no and and it's not some kind of universal world soul and it's not it's not anything of the sort so and it's really important to understand that at the same time like the you know to kind of i'm going to try to explain this very briefly and non as non-autistically as possible in a way that will hopefully be of some benefit Again, this is like a long. This is one of the. There's, there's kind of a couple major fault lines in specifically the Tibetan um, thing, and this is one of them. And the kind of essence of the question, as far as this is concerned, is you know how are or like the way to understand it that isn't extremely gay and 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 that doesn't just like isn't pointless and and stupid, is, you know. To what extent is. Nagarjuna saying something like, is, is, "Is all there is to emptiness? Just, um, you know, we think something's real and we need to like get rid of it, right? With this idea that we have of something being real, because because the problem is, you know, we there's I guess two way in a sense there's two ways of looking at it. You can look at it as okay, well, you know, the Buddha is special." And we don't want to get rid of that, you know, kind of specialness. And so if we say that the Buddha is just empty, you know, the way that, um, you know, regular phenomena are empty, then, then we, you know, we can lose sight of the fact that there's a difference between the Buddha and us. And it's not to say that, you know, the emptiness in a certain way is the same, but we are not the same as Buddha. We're not Buddhas, right? And Buddhas are special in certain ways you know so there's a kind of a question of emphasis that can arise as far as you know do you do, 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 you know and 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 one way to be kind of ecumenical about it is to say like okay well for some people who have this temptation that they really want to cling to the reality of things in a, in a certain way you know maybe for them it's better to really emphasize like you know you're you're thinking about this too much you're you're treating this as as, as though it's real in a way that it's not really real and you need to let go of that Whereas, you know, for others, they can um, maybe lose sight of the transcendent dimension. They can lose sight of, you know, the, how special Buddhahood is that, you know, I, I see this as a lot, especially like there's a, the people in the West uh, who come out of, you know, we've talked about California Dharma and various, you know, like Stephen Batchelor types, who they really want Buddhism to map onto their kind of preconceived, lib- their, their, their pre-existing liberal priors, the kind of like, you know, atheist, secular materialist, um, priors in particular and so to them, you know, emptiness just is, is entirely deflationary and there's just, you know, emptiness just means, you know, the, things are just empty and all there is to understand is that, you know, whatever idea you have about stuff is wrong to the extent that you think that things are really real. That I think is, is um, ext- that just doesn't work <laughs> fundamentally as an interpretation. Mm-hmm. like there's more to emptiness than that and, and in particular what these kinds of people lose track of is that you know? While yes, you know the Buddha is empty exactly the same way that sentient beings are empty. Buddhas are not sentient beings, and there's more to being a Buddha than um, just realizing things are empty in that kind of a way. Um, that's all I'll say on that at this point. I've probably said enough. Well, I
1: think uh, uh, YM's comment made me made me think of like a bell curve uh, meme, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. with like
0: <laughs> yeah, totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, I get what you're you, saying, you've got.
1: Yes yeah you've got like the midwit tier is like Abhidharma guys um or maybe some of these some some of these obscure tibetan schools that you're talking about i wouldn't know but uh you know and it's like wall text of like which dharmas are empty and which aren't and for what reasons and everything and at the at the genius iq level you've got a nagarjuna saying you know uh you know all things are dependently co you know all things are are caused by other things and and none of them uh, inherently exist. And at the Grug tier, you've got like the Buddha (laughs) original teaching, which is the exact same thing, which is just that like things arise and pass away and to cling to them is suffering. So please, please forgive me for saying, no, no, it's fine. Lord Buddha, Buddha, you guys get it.
0: Yeah, 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 (laughs) no, 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 I I think you're absolutely right. And, and I mean, uh, to me, the, the, the bell curve thing is like, you know, the Grug monk who just, he's like sitting on the left like it don't matter none of this matters just sit and meditate and then there's have you have like the reddit tier you know scholastic philosopher types like arguing about the minutiae of this thing and then on the other extreme you have like you know the buddha with rays coming out of his head being like it don't matter none of this matters just meditate right um so yeah yeah. Um, for the, for those who are interested, we could put notes in the show notes. The, the the two kind of things I was referencing, which aren't quite the same but are sort of related, it's the. This Fatantrika Prasangika distinction which is also um a book that you can read about all of the just if you into the autistic detail of that kind of thing and that concerns like does does Nagarjuna advance a thesis or not is kind of it's actually not even you, you, even that's actually my aut- my internal autism is like it's not even really what he's what it's about but that's kind of one way of thinking about it um and then the other is is rong tong gentong or other emptiness self-emptiness um, actually self emptiness, other emptiness, um, distinction, which is not quite the same thing. And I, there isn't like one, bo- I mean, there's a bunch, you know, that's kind of one of these things that is just endless. And, and the latter is, is more important. Um, I think historically, uh, it, it's sort of like, that's what everything kind of converges in, in Tibet that becomes the, the big, um, fault line and the, the you know, way of arguing stuff, but I probably spend a long enough time on this.
1: So this verse also contains, I was very proud of myself, you guys, because I was just reading along, highlighting verses that I thought were important, making notes and stuff. And verse 18, I was like, highlight, I'm like, whoa, that's heavy shit, man. And then immediately after I finish highlighting, uh, I read underneath the commentary says, this is the most celebrated verse of the work. Um, So that's verse 18 of this chapter 24 Dependent origination, we declare to be emptiness. Emptiness is a dependent concept. Just that is the middle path. I don't know if uh, one of you guys wants to illuminate uh, on that further, but I think you should talk.
0: I think you should say what you have to say.
1: Well, you know, I guess that's a little bit what I was talking about at the very top of the show, um, which is that this is where you see it come full circle. Now there, there's a couple more chapters after this that are very important, but this is, this was sort of what was nagging at me um, earlier in the text, you know, a couple months ago when we were a few, you know, half, halfway back through the book. I was thinking, yes, I agree with all of this, but isn't this just the teaching on dependent co I keep using the term dependent co-arising because I'm used to it. For our listeners, it, I'm referring to the same concept. It's just two different translations, a dependent origination or dependent co-arising. Mm-hmm. I was thinking in my head, I get all of this; I, it makes sense to me. But didn't the Buddha already teach this? Isn't this just dependent co-arising? Like, what? what I don't quite see what's the difference here. You know, it's good stuff, but um, you know, my, my Theravada self, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, but well just just practice what the Buddha taught, then. You know, if this is what's important to you. And again, without getting autistic into like all the, you know, the difference, the real important differences um, between the Mahayana and other schools it it was gratifying to me to see this um to have nagarjuna just come right out and say dependent origination we declare to be emptiness emptiness is a dependent concept just that is the middle path and then even the commentators saying this is the most celebrated verse of the work um because it it, that there it is um there it is right in front of you and obviously i'm sure you guys know i i don't say all this as a way to say like, Oh, I knew it all along, but, um, you know, I mean, I, you can see it. You can, if you've studied this stuff and you've thought about it and meditated on it, I could see the wisdom of what Nagarjuna was saying, even if I couldn't see where he was going with it. And then towards the end, you see where he's really going with it. And you're like, Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I agree with that. Right on.
0: Yeah. I mean, the question, it's an interesting question. Um, and kind of, a. I don't know. I mean, I don't know enough about Theravada to really, you know, comment. Um, but well, let know. me just clarify. Please, I, it's yeah. not even
1: about Theravada. I'm just talking about my own. I'm just talking about like
0: uh-huh. the practice
1: of sitting on the cushion. And I, you know, I've talked about this many times on this show. But you know, these little mini re- revelations you can have, where you're like, oh man, this thing inside my own mental makeup that I considered, without even realizing it, I considered just a fact of reality about my personality or my opinions or whatever that just was the way it was, then in a, in a moment, in a flash, I see how I'm actually constructing that and how it's totally a choice. And I have there's nothing compelling me to choose to do that or not. And in that moment of, of realizing that, you know, it, that's that moment of laughter, that moment of, like, release. And it's not total release, right, because it's just one small part of my personality. But I see how this thing that I thought was real is actually just – again you know due to dependent co-arising it's just a a bunch of other factors put together and then beneath that there's more factors and more and more and you know i haven't got to the bottom of the thing yet hopefully someday um but that's what i mean i don't mean a doctrinal thing i just mean that that basic experience of seeing how how phenomena are are not inherently themselves
0: sure Yeah, that makes a lot of sense
1: so
0: I don't know. I do want to hear what you had to say, but I I, I didn't mean to cut you off like that. But no, I don't, that... I don't. I don't know that. I mean, I I mean, I don't. I, I was just gonna. Oh, all I was gonna say is, um, as far as the relationship between Theravada and Mahayana on this point, like again, I don't really know where Theravada is at this point on on these kinds of things. And 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 um, what I will say is that historically, I think you have to understand. Nagarjuna's project. What, what it, I mean, he's doing a lot of things, right? I mean, fundamentally, he's commenting on the perfection of wisdom literature, as we've discussed before. Um, but but part of what both you know he and the perfection of wisdom literature are doing is calling into question, you know, with with the with the Abhidharma, which is this kind of pre existing Buddhist scholastic, you know, system where the idea is we're gonna exhaustively list all of the component elements of reality. So you have just all these different lists of like the six different kinds of uh, object of cognition and the six different kinds of cognition um, and the, you know, different, the, the, all the d- different elements and the different, you know, kinds of me- mental factors um, and, you know, the, and the different factors of enlightenment, like there's 37 factors of enlightenment and, you know, this this kind of different, you know, and 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 anyone you know people this is really you know historically and traditionally kind of the first thing that you learn if you're interested in buddhism in an intellectual way is you know all these just different lists of stuff um and and i mean that's true to this day but the the question is you know how are we supposed to to understand that because from an abhidharma perspective um you know really it's about understanding our own minds but like the 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 key difference and this is sort of like it's very closely related in fact to the difference between um the ultimate truth and, and the conventional truth like we were talking about earlier from an abhidharma perspective with what they say is that there's an ultimate truth there, there's things that are ultimately real or what they call substantially real and and things that are um only designated to be real and what is what is substantially real According to their definition, which is actually tracks pretty well with you know a kind of modern contemporary scientific understanding, is what you know is something. It has to be indivisible. It has to be um, indivisible. Like there's no internal structure. There's no um, you can't divide it. In that sense, it's like you can call it atomic. Obviously, we know atoms can be divided, <laughs> it can be split, right? But but like when you think about it, like a fundamental particle or an elementary particle, right? These are the entities that are number one indivisible like actually you cannot divide an electron right um and number two are momentary they only exist for a single moment um maybe the smallest possible unit of time whatever that is and so for from an abhidharma perspective you you when you're talking about you know what is substantially real or, or you could say in a sense ultimately real um you're you're talking about indivisible momentary things, um, anything that is made out of those things, anything that is bigger than that, anything that can be divided, whether conceptually or kind of in, you know, physically, um, is only designated to exist. Like it, it's not, so the classic example really is a, like a jug, right? Like a jug is a composite entity and therefore it's only, you can talk about a jug, you can point at the jug, you say, there's a jug, please give me the jug, I would like to drink, get me the jug, etc." cetera. Um, but like the jug itself is made out of parts and so anything that is made out of parts is only designated to exist so the the, but the key point of Abhidharma analysis really isn't so much about jugs it's about our own minds and and the and it's very closely tied to a system of contemplation or meditation where like you're analyzing your experience we kind of got a great comment, jugnat gang gang, yes, Jug. I'm <laughs> um, sorry, but so we're analyzing our experience, um, and what we notice is that actually, you know our cognition is changing moment by moment, and there are you know there's visual cognition and there's auditory cognition and there's olfactory cognition and all of these cognitions themselves have different qualities and blah, blah, blah. And so we can really analyze our experience. And this is like kind of the the classical Abhidharma thing to do. And they still do it in places like Burma um, where you you analyze your experience and you come to understand that there are these irreducible units of experience that we call dharmas. Um, And some of these dharmas are physical. You know, and like a blue particle or a jug particle or whatever. Um, and and but the the ones that we're really most interested in are mental dharmas, which are like in you know the individual indivisible factors of cognition um, of our minds essentially. And um, this is this is you know the whole kind of this is what really Buddhism meant, particularly for for Buddhists who were um, intellectually inclined from the time of the Buddha you know, all the way through Nagarjuna's time. Like, and, and when he was writing, when he wrote this text, like, it, you, you have to understand what he was doing in terms of like, he's directly like talking to people who were engaged in that kind of project. And he's saying, you know, what is it that you're even talking about? When you say that this Dharma is real, like, what does that really mean? Are, is, you is know, it real in what sense? Because isn't that, isn't it empty? Isn't it dependently originated, and and so he's reframing this distinction in the Abhidharma between what is designatedly real and what is ultimately real into a distinction about you know what is conventionally real and what is ultimately real um, or substantially real. So I mean, like, you get these terms mixed, mixed up because sorry, go go on.
1: Well, no, and I was going to say, you know, maybe it it makes so much intuitive sense to me here in the current year. Um, living in the Western world, because I'm, I've i only ever been exposed to Buddhism well after the fact of Nagarjuna. Do you know what I mean? Like, I can say, well, yeah, maybe that's good for the Mahayana, but we don't need to practice that in Thai Buddhism. Well, you know, the Thai forest tradition, as we've established on previous shows, was also influenced by the Mahayana, um, because, you know, as a school, it's only less than 200 years old. So maybe, you know, I've never... Dealt with the Abhidharma. I mean, I've looked at it. You know, I've read in it yes. stuff, but I've never really taken it that to be that serious or important. Perhaps precisely because of this project that Nagarjuna and those who followed him uh, were embarking upon, and the, maybe now the work has been done. At least for those of us who come at B- Buddhism a little bit more holistic, hol- holistically from an extra Asian perspective.
2: Yeah, because, I mean, my understanding is that modern theravadins don't really rely on the Abhidharma tradition like they might have done so before Nagarjuna was writing. At least, but again, I know very little about that side of, of Theravada. Maybe some know. of them
1: do, but I can tell you the Thai forest Ajans don't.
0: They don't what, sorry? They, they don't rely on They're the not, They're not.
1: not. They're not big on the Abhidharma at all.
0: Oh yeah, no. I that that the Abhidharma tradition is really most closely uh, associated with Burma and Burmese Buddhism. That that I know, or whatever they call it, Myanmar. Sorry, it's it'll always be Burma to me. But uh, yeah, um, I know the the, the Thais are, are are some. They're more focused on Vipassana. Um, is is more their thing. Um, so yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I just think that it's helpful to understand maybe, I mean, I don't know how helpful it is. I think it, for me, it was helpful when I, you know, like start first started learning these things, someone have explained like, okay, well, this is the Abhidharma, and this is what Abhidharma is about. And, you know, this is, you know, Nagarjuna is sort of engaging in this project of, um, you know, asking essentially these Abhidharma, because the, the, the opponent here, like, I mean, all these kind of distinctions, you know, we say Theravada and blah, 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 like all these, these are, these are terms that don't, you know, necess- and, and our whole way of thinking about the distinction between Mahayana and Theravada and this kind of stuff, like, this is all a, pro- a product of, you know, centuries or even more than a millennium of, um, you know, history. You know, at the Nagarjuna's time, you would have had, um, like, the, the distinction between monks, and this is still kind of technically true, is which code of monastic conduct do you follow? Which vinaya? There is no... Mahayana Vinaya, Like the Mahayana all like all the you know, like the Tibetan monks all follow the um Sarvastivada, the Mula Sarvastivada Vinaya. Uh and, and the Chinese Mahayana monks all follow the Dharmaguptaka Vinaya. And at the time of nagarjuna you would have had like a monastery that followed a Vinaya, a code of monastic conduct, um, and you would have had monks that were maybe like inclined towards the Mahayana, and you would have had, you know, monks that were not. And they would have been, you know, sharing meals together on a daily basis, and so it was just like you, we, we, you, 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 like as with all, you know, it fits, I guess, our kind of, you know, thinking about emptiness to understand that just our categories for approaching this kind of material, you know, it's important to not project backwards onto history, um, our current kind of way of thinking about stuff. That's just a general thing that's good, probably not, to, not to do.
1: Yeah, shall we, um, shall
0: we push to the next Yeah, chapter? let's go on, let's go on. So um, what was the next verse that really stuck out to you?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Um, looking through for my highlights. Well, just to summarize it for people, uh, the next, so he, it's actually quite a long chapter, that one, 24, we were just on, uh, talking about the emptiness of the Four Noble Truths. And the next one is Nirvana, and it's uh, an analysis of Nirvana, chapter 25. Uh, and this is another one where the rubber really hits the road um and i think this might be a little bit of a grug tier take for our sophisticated audience but i guess i would just like to start with pointing out that something that's said in this chapter but is also said by many other people trying to explain nirvana the concept of nirvana to people who accuse buddhism of some some somehow being nihilistic or something uh because of the misunderstanding of what's meant by nirvana um Let's see if I can find a te- uh, the verse to back me up. Um, here we go. Verse seven, um, He's talking about uh, whether Nirvana is um, a positive existent, a thing that that exists in and of itself, right? Um, just as he's done, for those of you who have listened to previous um, iterations of this uh, of our explanation of this text, He's done this with many different concepts throughout throughout the the book, right? Showing that they they can't be shown to exist in and of themselves, just like DK was saying about uh, particular dharmas um, in the Abhidharma. So he has just finished pointing out that Nirvana is not a positive existent, not a thing that exists in of itself. If Nirvana is not a positive existent, how will Nirvana be an absence when there is no existent? There is no absence, and I think this is key to me because. Um, nirvana is often portrayed as sort of the absence of all things you know like a winking out of existence uh a disappearing into nothingness and it's understandable that that it's thought of that way because it's it's an impossible thing to conceptualize it's um it's it's very very hard to get at exactly what it is and so it's often defined in negative terms right and so when you hear it defined in negative terms so much you're like okay well it's not this that or the other therefore it's just it's nothingness it's a void it's 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 a denial of all life or, or something like that you know people add that extra bit on because those are the the concepts they have in their mind that that go with ideas like emptiness for example um you know the, the, a picture of like a yawning void or something like the nothing from the never-ending story i think that's what people tend to think of it as and, and therefore it's not a surprise that they would They would think, well, you know, Buddhism is just this life denying thing. Um, But of course, it couldn't be any further from the truth. And then, then verse nine, um, he says, that which, when dependent on conditioned, excuse me, that which, when dependent or conditioned, comes into and goes out of existence, that when not conditioned or dependent is called nirvana. Um, And I just made the note that, um, where's my note? It's not nothingness. It's just what's outside the cycle of becoming, um, and I don't know if I can get more accurate with with saying that without going on for another ten minutes. So you can pick if up. If you want, that to, ball I mean,
0: go put. off, King.
1: <laughs> well, it's just that. Um, so what, like what I said in my note, it's it's that Nirvana is, at least in my understanding, and I believe it's backed up by this text. It's it's again, it's not pure nothingness. It's just, it's like stepping to the side of the cycle of becoming. And if people remember, um, or if they know this already, you know, that the cycle of becoming is another way of phrasing the idea of constant birth and rebirth. And it's a very sort of core Buddhist idea that um, through ignorance, through clinging, and of course, actually it addresses this in the next chapter, but through ignorance, uh, we cling to things that, Aren't really real, and we um, identify with them, and it causes us suffering because that's not actually what we are. And uh, one manifestation of this is, is, of course, when things change, which they are always under a constant state of change. And we cling to what they once were; it's inevitably going to cause us suffering. And this is sort of the you know the teaching on old age, illness, death, and separation. It's not just that those things kind of suck from a mundane level; it's also that because they are manifestations of the change, change happening to things that we were clinging to, and, and that's where the suffering comes from. Suffering doesn't come from wrinkly skin, it comes from clinging to to non-wrinkly skin, I suppose, <laughs> kind of an odd way to put it. You get where I'm saying. So that that's the cycle of becoming that we cling to. Um, it doesn't mean that these things in nirvana, it doesn't mean these things aren't happening. It means that we're no longer being born into them, um, both on the macro scale in terms of from one life to the other, but also not being born into them on the mental level of of identifying with them and creating worlds of becoming uh, inside our own sort of lived mental experience. Um, And so one way to attack the question of what nirvana is, is to understand it as just being outside of that. Now, of course, having said that, Nagarjuna ends this uh, chapter on a big flourish where he talks about samsara is identical with nirvana and nirvana is identical with samsara. So, you know, take what I just said with a grain of salt. But again, because these things are so impossible to define, I find that sort of attacking them from one angle and from another angle um, is, is helpful to help you to understand them, to help me to understand them. And in, in essence, that's what Nagarjan is doing in this chapter. He's showing how one concept is not right, then the, not, then the next concept is not right, etc.
0: Very well put. Thank you. Uh, YM, you've been quiet for a while. Did you have anything you wanted to add?
2: Well, really, I mean, one thing that I think was pointed out, I can't remember exactly where, was that the entire, a lot of these mistaken views and questions about nirvana and what is it are actually based off of a uh, couple of mistaken premises to begin with. Uh, The annihilationist view is based off the idea that there's a a self, which upon attainment of nirvana is annihilated. And the other one is based off the idea that there's a self, which upon attainment of nirvana is eternal neither of these are correct and that means that the entire question is basically ill-formed to begin with
0: yes that's a very yes exactly that is a centrally important point
1: yeah and it relates to what you just said before ym which is that when we're you know nirvana is not uh, you know the godhead it's not atman right it's not it's not a supreme self or anything like that it's um, it but it's also not the ne- the negation of those things. It just simply no, I mean, isn't. It simply isn't that.
2: No, it isn't moksha. It isn't like this reunification with the with the universal self or something like that. It's 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 entirely inconceivable.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, that may be a good chance to transition to um, the next chapter, which is really kind of the last major chapter with um, things to say along these lines, um, which is a, an analysis of Nirvana, Chapter Twenty Five. Where similarly the um, you know the the opponent begins by saying if all this is empty, there is neither origination nor cessation due to abandonment or cessation of what is Nirvana then acknowledged. In other words, you know I mean again along very similar lines the point is, um, Nirvana classically in the kind of traditional Buddhist model which is also applies in the Mahayana needs to be said. Um, Nirvana means, like, in a sense, cessation. Now, we can get into, you know, this is kind of can be misinterpreted in various ways. I think we all understand, at least I hope everyone listening to this understands, you know, Nirvana does not is not like, you know... Who, 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 I was arguing with uh, Zero HP Lovecraft the other day. He was like, oh, it's just like spiritual suicide. I'm like, just shut the fuck up, faggot. Like, you have no idea it's what you're talking about. Fractally wrong. Yeah, like, you have just no idea what you're talking about. So no nirvana is not spiritual suicide it doesn't mean but it does it does kind of in a literal sense mean cessation well the, here's, here's the kind of the rub right here's the in order to understand what buddhists are talking about when they understand when they talk about nirvana you have to understand you know a few things number one this the causality is centrally important here like the the, the buddha taught you know many times and places but he, you know he, he one of the things he really emphasized over and over and over again which is where all this talk of Dependent when he even talks about dependent origination, what does he say? Like, because this arises, that arises. Because that arises, this arises. That's dependent origination. Causes and effects, right? Now Nagarjuna, one of the things that he's doing, he's kind of getting into the nitty gritty of like, well, what does it mean to say that you know this arises because of that? You know, what basis are you positing a relationship between the two? What does it mean for two things to have a relationship, and so on? These are all very important questions and important analyses and we've discussed them at length and And i urge you if you have any questions you know first to go back and listen over to our previous episodes especially episode number one where we you know talked about this in the kind of basic sense but but the key point is you know to return to like the kind of the big picture is um you know in a buddhist model like causes produce effects okay generally speaking in nagarjuna in a Ordinary, conventional, transactional reality is not denying that. Very importantly, not denying that in ordinary terms. Okay, so from a big picture perspective, what is nirvana the cessation of? Nirvana, like the idea is, why do we suffer, right? Like why is there pain and suffering in the world? There's pain and suffering in the world because there are the causes and conditions for there to be pain and suffering in the world. And so what is the first noble truth is like just acknowledging that there is pain and suffering. What is the second noble truth is saying, well, like absolutely everything else in existence in the multiverse, right? Pain and suffering are the effects of a cause, okay? So what is, you know, and then, then we can get into this actually kind of a different topic in a certain way. Like what is the, the cause of suffering you know the, the traditional buddhist answer is is it's um karma and klesha it's it's defi- i mean ultimately you could say it's ignorance but the but the traditional answer the, the kind of technical answer is it's it's action and defilement um that we engage in causal activity that activity is defiled because of our ignorance and therefore we experience negative results okay so so then okay so then how do we stop suffering well we have to remove the causes and conditions for suffering. And so once we remove the causes and conditions for suffering, then there is no more suffering. And it turns out, and again, this is not something I'm gonna argue here. It's you know fine, maybe for another topic or something. Um, but from a Buddhist perspective, the idea is basically as long as, like the fundamental problem is we exist in a way like that again we, we kind of engage in this activity that is defiled because our minds are defiled ultimately by ignorance and so what we have to do if we want to stop suffering and we want others to stop suffering is we have to eliminate these causes and conditions once we do that right once we once we no longer engage in that kind of activity, which is really essentially any kind of activity, or at least any kind of normal activity, um, then we we no longer suffer. Then we have achieved cessation. We are free from the cycle of negative activity where, you know, bad things happen because we bad done bad things. We do bad things to try to make the bad things stop. And we experience the result of the bad, we experience bad things as the result of doing bad things, which causes us to engage in more bad things to try to make the bad things to stop and so on and so forth, right? It's a, it's 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 an endless cycle, an endless kind of negative um, feedback loop is, is one way to think about samsara. And, and so the solution is to break the cycle and we break the cycle by ceasing any kind of having, there's no more causes and conditions. So what he's getting at here is, you know, that the opponent is saying like, okay, well, if there is no causality anymore, and in particular, there's no more like cessation where you, you you know, the, the cause is exhausted and therefore the effect is exhausted and therefore it's, you know, it ceases, then what Nirvana is there? And Nagarjuna replies, he says, if all, if everything is not empty, then there is neither origination nor cessation. So due to abandonment or cessation of what nirvana is, what is nirvana then acknowledge? In other words, like, and he goes on to sort of, uh, well, yeah, he goes on to, to, to say like, you know, nirvana is not existent it's not non-existent, it's not both, it's not neither. This idea that like, fundamentally, you know, if things had an inherent existence, right? If you had an inherent existence as yourself, then how could you ever attain Buddhahood? How could you ever be free from, from samsara? How could you ever go from being you know, ignorant and stuck in samsara to being enlightened and free from samsara? If we really had an eternal essence, then we, th- that would be impossible. It's precisely because there is no in, in, in inherent essence that it is possible for us to change, to grow, to develop, to move from being ordinary, ignorant, sentient beings to being perfect awakened Buddhas. And and so as he says, this is another one of like I you know, these absolutely you know, extremely famous verses that we should all, you know, hear. Not abandoned, not acquired, not annihilated, not eternal, not ceased, not arisen. Thus is nirvana said to be. And that is really the, the key point.
1: You know, there's a, there's a good uh, comment from Andrew in the comments. He says, the way we exist is not a problem. It's what we do, not how we are. Um, and I'm not 100% sure totally what Andrew's getting at in that comment, but I think it's um, appropriate to to comment that, you know, one thing that um, the, the teacher that I listen to most, Thandi Sarabiku, always says is that, um, samsara is not a thing or a place. It's an activity. And we've talked about this before on our samsara episode and illusion, uh, delusion itself is also not just a thing or a state of being. It's something that you do. And again, (laughs) to harp on my same old thing, when you sit in meditation, you can actually see how this is. So when you talk about it, it's, it's a little bit baffling or you, or you might be like, yeah, okay. that that sounds sufficiently wise or kind of cool or interesting or whatever but when you actually get the mind quiet enough to observe how these things that again feel like states of being um are actual they're actually activities that you are doing and you have the capability of stopping doing them i, I think i would agree with with what andrew the way he phrases it there and and ultimately when it comes down to samsara and nirvana um uh, total total release i i would I would uh advance the idea or assert the idea that it, it's the same thing that it's it's not that you change what you know when you achieve nirvana it's not that you change from one state of being to some other state of being it's that you just stop doing samsara stuff <laughs> and 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 there you are
0: you you can see here i mean again it's it's another kind of giant topic and and maybe i'm opening a can of worms but you can see here where the idea of something that you know we call buddha nature is coming from buddha nature like you know people there's different conceptions of it and some people you know are really concerned to deny it and so on but the fundamental idea and point of what you can call buddha nature theory is precisely that that you know it's Whatever our, we could say our nature is empty or we're empty of nature and our nature is that we're empty of nature or whatever, you know, and, and you don't want to reify it, but it is nevertheless true that, you know, we are empty of self nature and that our nature, like whatever it is, like our continuum in Buddhism, you talk about, you don't talk about like self, we talk about a continuum, right, of the changing states, but there's something about our continuum that you don't want to say like it's the same because that causes problems, but you also don't want to say that it's different. And more to the point, you want to say that, you know, the again, like I've said over and over again in this show, I mean, this current episode, our emptiness is not different from the emptiness of the Buddhas. The emptiness that the Buddhas realize is not different from the emptiness that, you know, when you meditate, if you're an art, you know, if you receive teachings on how to meditate on emptiness and you do that, that's not a different emptiness than the emptiness that the Buddhas no right and and the emptiness that the buddhas know in terms of they know that they are em- buddha is empty of buddha right they they know that you know dk is empty of dk um you know it, it, it's not a different thing so there is a there is a continuity there is a, a in some sense you can talk let's say metaphorically about the fact that w- we are empty now and we are empty in a mirror Buddhas. And the, the, this, is, this emptiness is not different. And, and, and that's one way to think about Buddha nature. Yeah. Did you have anything else you wanted to, to add?
1: Uh, no, uh, but YM. I guess one thing I would
2: say though, is about the way we exist. Ultimately, that is a product of what we've done, at least at some point in the past. And what we are in the future is a product of what we're doing now. So that's something that I do think needs to be taken into account there.
0: Yeah, well, that's again, it that's gets back to this thing about the conventional versus the ultimate. Like, yes, car- the point is that activity, karma, karma means action, right? By definition, is only ever conventionally real. Like that's kind of right. again, you know, a kind of like a pith instruction kind of way of looking at this. Is you know what what is Nagarjuna saying? What he's saying is you know to put it in kind of maybe um, I don't know. I don't, I'm not a fan of like the Eckhart Tolle kind of school of <laughs> way of approaching things, but nevertheless it remains true that these people are not they're not wrong and it can be helpful to understand like there's just the present by definition you know future does not exist yet past no longer exists so the only candidate for a thing that could ever really exist is the present right and so like when you're talking about action like you're talking about you know something that you know unless you're talking about something that only ever exists absolute in an absolute individual moment that, that is a smallest possible unit of time like you, you're by definition not talking about anything real and so as long as, as soon as you're talking about an action or thinking about an action is something that occurs and you have like you know there's this parts of the action and the action like i'm swinging an axe at a at a tree to top down the tree and there's like you know the action of of cutting down the tree is something that happens where it's like at one moment the axe is like above my shoulder and then the next you know another moment it's it's coming down on the tree and at another moment it's you know actually touching the tree and at another moment it's like you know recoiled off the tree and it's back up above my shoulder like because that's how we think and talk about action right that's fine in a certain sense like in terms of conventional reality but As soon as you start analyzing you know again like this idea that there's this one thing that is the action of cutting down the tree that's happening across all those moments that just doesn't make any sense from an ultimate it just it it does you know as soon as you start looking at it analyzing it, it it all falls apart and so you know yes while it's absolutely very very important to um to uh to understand that our actions have effects and that our negative actions have negative effects and that our positive actions have positive effects you know this is all really only applicable at a um at a kind of at a certain level at a, at a, at a conventional level uh, flavor town resident one of our um friends of the show says you know dx over dt yes i am talking about <laughs> uh yeah inter- i mean one way of thinking about this is is precisely when you're talking about the you know differential calculus or integral calculus in in terms of you know infin- infinitesimal units like yeah you know and you can you can analyze infinitesimal units that's kind of what this is about, in a certain way. If you want to think about it mathematically,
1: makes sense.
0: It's a bit off.
1: Uh, um, I don't know. It's all on topic. I'll, I'll stop saying that. Uh, <laughs> you know the the teaching on karma and the the and the, also the teaching on emptiness, and also a little bit what YM was getting at uh, in terms of uh, his last comment about you know the the. The fact that the Buddhas have assembled the karma uh, to to experience, um, you know, if you want to talk about Buddha nature, experience Buddha nature basically forever, um, although to use temporal terms is already, <laughs> already gets a little messy. But anyways, the, the central teaching is that in the present moment, we we are radically free. The teaching on karma, uh, th- there's your past karma, but your future karma is decided in the moment right now and if it were impossible to change your karma if it if you were just an automaton like a in a newtonian universe a billiard ball bouncing around uh on uh the billiard table then there would be the buddha said there would be no reason for him to teach what why would he teach anything if there was nothing that you could do about it but the whole point of the teaching is that there is in fact something you can do about it in fact you are doing something about it all the time, whether you whether you choose to confront that or not. Um, and so, in each in each instant, in each present moment, in the the eternal present moment, you are creating your karma. You're creating the world that you're going to live in. You're you're creating your form of existence, whether it's going to um, lead to lead to suffering or lead to the end of suffering. And and this is both for true for you and for the people around you. It's it's much easier to see the way that it affects your own life, but um, in to the degree that you, your life touches on the lives of other beings around you. And even theoretically throughout all space and time, then you're also creating suffering or well-being or the, the lack of suffering happiness for, for all those other beings too. Um, and it's entirely up to each one of us uh, what to do in each given present moment. And, you know, we, we constantly make mistakes. We make, you know, we make mistakes all, all day long every day um but they they do actually compound so choosing you know choosing a positive action over negative action does actually will lead to better karma that will lead it make it easier each time and it's very complicated how these things happen and you know right back in chapters 1 2 and 3 of this of nagarjuna we were looking at you know how how hard it is to say you know you can't say a seed causes a, a tree, right? Because there's all these other factors going in, and then later we learn, of course, those factors themselves can't be pinned down. Nevertheless, it, this this very this this complex uh, coming and going of past karma is happening all the time. So that's why you know you don't get to you know you don't get to uh, yeah plant your seed of good karma and then immediately eat the apple off the tree. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. So it gets frustrating. Sometimes, because you do good, 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 good things. You meditate, you meditate, you work through your, through your kleshas, you work through your, your suffering and everything. And yet, then the next day you go out and something bad still happens, or you, you catch yourself doing that same old negative activity you've, you've been doing for so long. And you, it's, it's very common to think, you know, gosh, darn it, you know, like, damn it. I just, I, you know, it's not working, but it does work. It does work. And if you stick with it long enough, like it, it, it's absolutely astonishing how how much freedom you can actually have through um, shaping your own present karma uh and Maybe that doesn't have a ton to do with Nagarjuna right now, but I I can never pass up an opportunity to harp on. No, on, that, on the contrary,
0: there's a really another you know kind of really important passage where he says here there is no distinction whatsoever between samsara and nirvana. There is no distinction whatsoever between nirvana and samsara. What is the limit of nirvana? That is the limit of samsara. There is not even the finest gap to be found between the two. That's uh, verses 19 and and 20 of of chapter uh, 25, and that that's the key point here is you know we're this I in a certain sense it's it's our failure to understand that we're already in nirvana bond you know liberation is here right now it's our idea it's our idea of ourselves as existing bound to samsara in 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 a in a real in a really important sense it's it's just that idea that we have of everything around us just being ordinary and this is you know my computer and that's my desk and uh, this is my house or whatever like you know, it's that framework that we just sort of accept, we just implicitly, you know, have um, that is keeping us bound and or if, or,
1: you know, or the thought you know this is my anger this is my shame right. yeah exactly th- just this sort is of my lust and as, i you know i just i'm never going to get rid of these things you know right. it's just how i am
0: it, yeah. not even like necessarily you know conceptualizing it in that way just w- even in the moment that it arises you know thinking is like you know just experiencing it as something that's really you know concrete um right. th- that that's it, you know and 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 not seeing you know like I, again i don't want to speak too much but i think it's fair to say and certainly all this information is you know you People know where to, you know, now you don't even have to, you just type in three words, you know, what is Tantra? But like in, in a very real way, like, you know, what, what is Tantra? I don't want to like say too much, but or present myself as some kind of expert, but but the, the language of Tantra is very much a language of, you know, in, rather than from a kind of non-Tantric perspective or an ordinary kind of exoteric perspective, you know, when emotions arise, when anger arises, when desire arises, et cetera, um you know we're we're taught you know okay well we have to see that we recognize it and we apply an antidote okay and the antidote like for example for anger is loving kindness so we we experience a moment of anger we want to hurt someone because you know they've attacked us or something and so it's important to um you know to uh to see like okay well I am experiencing anger and I'm going to now rather than react aggressively I'm going to try to respond in a in a better way that's all good that's very good there's nothing wrong with that and that's typically actually probably the better path but the the key point is you know, if we really can come to a, some kind of an understanding, and this is not something you're gonna get from some idiot, no, don't listen to me, I'm just an online racist podcaster, I'm, I'm not suggesting that. But the point is like, at a, you know, in Minecraft, hypothetically, in a theoretical way, like what is going on here is it's not that, the The fact of the matter is you can look at, you can see that the anger is actually empty of anger in the exact same way that the pen is empty of pen and the spoon is empty of spoon and and, and so on and there's a tremendous freedom that comes with that um because it, it's no longer that you you know you you can you can experience the, again these these negative things they're they just arise right and they just you know they they're just phenomena the way anything is a phenomenon and so it's not that you like the the the, the freedom comes not from Pushing it away, or applying an antidote, or you know, not, not even necessarily never experiencing these things. The freedom comes from noticing as they arise that they're you know it's like a passing cloud. I I, I don't want to talk too much. I'm sorry. I didn't. I don't know if I should have said that, but whatever. I think it's it it you know for people who are interested in this kind of stuff, it could be helpful. I hope. I think so. Definitely. Um, yeah. So. I just have one last thing that I wanted like the final verse of the the um, the whole work but before we do that was there any anything else you all wanted to say? I don't know how much more you wanted to 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 say.
1: No, for me personally I, I I've hit on everything that's that's burning desire for me. So I encourage you to to go for it.
2: Yeah, same here. Go for it.
0: Okay, well, that was actually, I was expecting you to have um, more to say, but the, uh, I mean, the, <laughs> that's fine. The, the, I mean, he kind of just, like, the, the the last little bit of this is just, he, he says, um, you know, basically, it's not that there's a, it's not that there's a human that's, you know, that, that is. I will that. throw something Please, in, yeah. DK.
1: Yeah. Uh, because just only because we're skipping over the entire chapter on, um, let's see, I got a, the 12 fold chain, right? Mm hmm are you are you saying you're skipping to the end of the, the uh, text? Yeah, the last verse. yeah, to the end of the text. yeah. so so just very briefly for our our listeners, there is another chapter in between the one on Nirvana and the very, very end. um and it's chapter twenty six and that's the uh, analysis of the twelve fold chain. And without going into detail on it, the twelve fold chain is actually a pretty. You know, it's a pretty common sort of core teaching, but uh, honestly, one that I've never found to be that particularly helpful. But it basically just explains how dependent co-arising, step by step, turns into suffering. Um, it goes through like the senses, through, through desire or ignorance and volition, and the, the various senses, and um, ultimately ending in in birth, old birth, suffering, old age, death, etc. Um, and when I first when I first started reading this I thought oh no, he's gonna go through all 12 of these things and I'm like I get it already but actually he turns a neat little trick in it um where he just proves uh, how ignorance at the very at the very beginning of the chain, uh, isn't real? Is it is also empty? I should say in the same way that he's shown so many of the things in his text to be empty, and then he says, "There, I cut off the beginning of the chain. So if the beginning of the chain doesn't is is empty, then so the whole chain is empty. So you don't need to worry about any of this stuff." Uh, and I actually, the way I'm saying it, probably sounds kind of cute or something. But without going in depth on this chapter, I would say I actually found it quite satisfying and sort of irrefutable. So that that's the interpolating uh the interpolated uh chapter between between the one on nirvana and the one that dk is about to hit
0: thank you for that and yeah i mean again we haven't i think we've been pretty comprehensive but we haven't gone over every verse individually and I i definitely encourage those of you who you know have an interest in this material to you know do that if you want and you know as always we are um available you know uh Uh, this is probably a good time to mention we have a discussion group on telegram right wing dharma squads you can join um you know you can reach out to us over twitter um and and yeah you know we're definitely happy to engage um and and help you however however we can um but you know again it's important to understand this, this text like you know all buddhist philosophy really it's it's designed it's it's the whole purpose is to help you attain enlightenment you know, awakening. It's it's that's what it's there for. It is not here to give you like a better samsara, right? Like the the big picture wise, like you know, samsara is always going to be samsara. Like there is no samsara, there is no nirvana, and that means that it's not that you like attain samsara and leave, attain nirvana and leave, attain samsara and leave nirvana. That would be funny. Um, it's not that you like you know go from one place to another place, right? It's not, I mean, you could talk about it that way, but that's not really what's happening. And um, it's not that some, you know, Nirvana is so this far away thing. And, you know, I'm stuck here in this shitty world. Like that, that's absolutely 180 degrees the opposite of like how reality is. Reality is that Nirvana is here, Nirvana is now. Nirvana is nothing other than here and now. And, and so, you know, what is like, what is the purpose of this philosophy? You know there's different ways of talking about it or thinking about it but one thing we can be assured of is that it is not he's not saying well this is how samsara really is he's not saying oh this is how you know you know we're giving give you the like, a really great picture of reality and if you just you know really stick to this picture then you got it. like that's in fact the exact kind of mindset that we need to avoid that's the kind of mindset that's the kind of trap the kind of mental trap that we you know fall in and and um, need to get essentially ourselves out of Um, YM said it very well earlier he said you know um, that that it's not that Nagarjuna is giving us a view he's not he's not saying like this is the, the the correct metaphysical picture of reality there are let's say more subtle and less subtle ways in which we can fall into that trap there's a I think there's a very kind of gross way of falling into that trap which is you know we read some philosophical text or some religious text or whatever and we you know think uh, and it can even be a Buddhist text I mean that's part he's arguing against Buddhists uh, you know as well as I think we've made pretty clear Um, you know, the Buddhist text says, okay, well, there are, you know, these many layers of reality, there's three realms and the God realms and the human realms and the animal blah, 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 blah. Okay. And that can be, you know, helpful or effective or or, or even true in, in, in some ways. But, you know, if, if we theorize our experience or we theorize reality in this kind of a way, like actually that, um, that falls short right that, that that's not quite and it could be it could be non but obviously there's better versions and worse versions but the point is that no version no story that we do no kind of philosophical story that we tell is ever really going to match up a hundred percent and and that is the problem so and, and how does that problem manifest there's a kind of more subtle way in which it manifests which is you know even for the grugs right in some ways in a lot of ways you know it's better to be a grug than to be a big brain that's kind of one of the big picture takeaways here is that the big brains Get themselves in all kinds of trouble that the grugs do not <laughs> get themselves into, um, but even grugs, right? Even grugs have this issue where you know grug is like I, you know, see club. I take club. Club is thing. I grug use club to bash other grug, right? Like and 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 that implicit sense of the club or whatever as an object that exists out there in the world that is a very subtle but that is a form of like that exists on a continuum with with like the idea of you know the reality if i just come up with this you know there's a direct line essentially there's a, a the, the the grugs kind of sense of like this club is a thing it is a real club not you know this is where the the style analysis comes into play it's like grug thinks of the club as a real thing that is a club he does not think of the club he does not think to think of the club and uh, as just a collection of like club particles or jug particles. And even if he had some kind of an, you know, intellectual understanding, like you could tell, sit down, Grug and be like, Grug, can you break the club? He's like, yes, Grug can break the club. And you break the club in two pieces. Can you break the two pieces into smaller pieces? Like, yes, I can break the club in just two, right? But like, you can do that. No, no, keep going. Keep <laughs> so, going. I like, I'm enjoying but, this. Yes. But, The point is, you know, even if you could intellectually explain to Grug at a very Grug level that like, you know, the club is made of little tiny pieces that can't be, you know, like, he's still going to, we, I, me, personally, DK, I am going to interact with objects in the world as though they have a kind of independent existence of the things that make them up, right? And that pre-theoretical sense of things that is also a view that is not different from philosophers coming up with all these different kind of highfalutin theories it's its actually in a very important way the exact same thing um, so then when when Nagarjuna says at the very end this is the last verse of the whole work this is verse 30 of chapter 27 he says I salute Gautama the, the Buddha who based on compassion taught the true Dharma for the abandonment of all views for the abandonment of all views what is a view a view is the view like i mean a view could be a philosophical view like a really kind of highfalutin thing but it's also just that sense that we have that ordinary everyday sense that we have of the objects of our experience as existing you know as objects of our experience, as as though they had an independent existence, as though they were real, as though they stayed the same from moment to moment. And, you know, again, that's not to say that we can't interact with them in conventional terms, but we have to understand that, you know, really... You know, it, like to be kind of Abhidarmic about it for a second, which is, you know, in, in a certain way enough, like they're made out of indivisible fundamental particles that are changing moment by moment at a subatomic level. You know, the world is absolute insane chaos. You know, nothing stays the same from moment to moment, and it's all just kind of a giant mess and and everything's fluctuating and everything's changing and and, and but that's not how we experience. That's not how we experience the world. We have our view of the world is made up of more or less solid, more or less stable objects, and that is what we need to get rid of.
1: So, um, for parts eleven through twenty of this, um, our breakdown of Nagarjuna will begin next week, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, no, man, that was that was great. That was that was awesome. I totally. Um, I grok what you're saying and uh, totally agree. And it's it's uh, jokes aside, it's actually been quite transformative for me to um,
0: oh, really to go through to this. That. Yeah, I me mean, too. Yeah, it's to always go good. I, you know, yes. it's always this is this is one of those texts that um, you know it's it's stood the test of time and and um, you know all the, Harry Potter will be nobody knows what the fuck a Harry Potter is and Nagarjuna will still be around. So yeah, I I just highly encourage anyone who's interested in Buddhism, whether you're, you know, identify as a Mahayana type guy or not, there's definitely stuff in here that is worthwhile. Whether you're not a Buddhist, it doesn't really matter. Um, I I, I can't imagine there are many who are like, I mean, I don't know, hopefully, but, but I really, you know, whether or not you're a Buddhist, there's definitely stuff in here worth contemplating, worth thinking about, worth engaging with.
1: Yeah, that's right. I'm I'm not a Christian, but um, I think it's worthwhile to read the City of God. In fact, if you're not reading, you know Augustine, what are you what are you even what doing? What are you even right? doing? So yeah. I, yeah, yeah, and I would say that this that this text absolutely rises to that level of importance. Um, it should it deserves to be much more widely known in the West.
2: Yeah. particularly here at the end where it's all kind of tied together. It's a fantastic yeah. point about.
0: Yeah, but again, it's one of these things where, like, you know. You got to go through the sludge work to get to the payoff at a certain level. Like if you know once it, it all kind of and then it'll really start to click and then, you know, well, you see what happens from there, I guess.
1: Or you just need to find some friendly um, internet podcaster guys to like, <laughs> you know, the more racist the better. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> um,
1: hey, before we wrap it up, yeah. I want to give a I want to give a special shout out to our friend Scout. Um, yes, I wanted who, to say yes,
2: yes. Good, yes. Uh,
1: yeah, well, I stole it. I stole it from you. Then I guess uh, <laughs> Scout made for us. Uh, those of you who are watching in the live chat can already see it, but uh, I just figured it for the audio version for posterity. I want to say thank you to Scout for making totally badass graphics for us. We've got a rotating. Yeah, drama we got some. We, he
0: did some work. Also, he did the the, uh, the 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 pictures that we use, the graphics that we use for thumbnail stuff. I I, I think I'll probably be replacing it on the on the um, show art generally, but yeah, he's done a bang up. It was just incredible work and. Um, So thank you very much, Scout, and and I think we'll be using this stuff moving forward. I still need to figure out for the live stream how I'm gonna, you know, uh, because people have said it helps them to see who's talking if I use the. um... Anyway, we'll see. We'll figure all that out. But yeah, shout out to Scout. Thank you so much for this. And um, yeah, anyone who needs any, you know, whatever, we'll we'll uh, maybe mention him in the show notes as well. Yeah. Okay. Were there any um, other closing thoughts? not for me nope okay well thank you all for listening again we hope that this has been of benefit to you and we dedicate whatever merit you know small or large has been um accumulated in this um to the awakening of all sentient themes without exception and uh until next time enjoy take care everyone